Who are you? What does it mean to be human? What is truth? Is your red the same as my red? Is free will truly free? What is morality? Join us as we explore these ideas and more in The Philosopher's Stone. Hello fellow intellectuals and cohorts, welcome to Philosopher's Stone, where we do a little bit of armchair philosophy, or as we like to call, game chair philosophy. Here on Philosopher's Stone, our purpose is to spark synergistic conversations on a myriad of complex and complicated topics. So, yeah, Darren, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, been a pretty good morning so far. How's our audience doing? Leave it in the public discourse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, doing all right. It's been a been a busy week, but it's been been productive, so that's that's week. good. Gotcha. Read anything interesting this week? Yes, I read the pretty much the entirety of the Kabbalion yesterday. <laughs> it was an entire forty-two pages. <laughs> so my, <laughs> I felt like I had a nuclear reactor in my head just trying to process everything. <laughs> From what you've processed so far, like, if you gave a brief synopsis of your thoughts, what what do you think about it? Okay, I don't know if it's possible to give a brief synopsis. As brief Um, as you can. (laughs) It's it's very eye-opening, honestly. There There are some things that they did talk about that I'm a little skeptical about, because it was published in... So, this part was, was kind of... I was kind of skeptical, skeptical about... They published the book in 1908, and they constantly, in the book, they constantly referred to the, the atom, I guess the, the science of the atom at that point, which wasn't very, it was kind of a newer, newer thing. Mm-hmm. And obviously the science of the, the atom has significantly increased since, or has gotten a lot more in depth, I guess you could say. There's been, a, there's a lot more information on the atom now than there was back in 1908. So them constantly referring to the atom as their example for a lot of their arguments to me like I'm I have to kind of digest that one a little bit but the the overall topics that they explain like the seven hermetic principles and you know the principle of mentalism and of polarity and vibration and all of that a couple it, of which we're going to talk about today absolutely and it's a very interesting read okay all right so a little bit of housekeeping so upcoming plans so we are planning again. We are planning on making a a channel for some some chill step. If anybody is working or or doing school or whatever, you can join, listen to music. We are still working on building a website for these episodes of Philosopher's Stone, so you can go in there and and listen. Once we have that up, we'll post announcements in this Discord server as those things become accomplished. We will be posting some rules and regulations for the public discourse, and it's going to be some pretty loose stuff. We're not, we're not going to be try try to be tyrannical about it. So today's topic, we're going to be discussing hermeticism and stoicism. Not the entirety of hermeticism and stoicism, but a couple of ideas from each. I think are, I think it'll be a fun thought experiment. Are are we ready to dive in? Yeah, let's do it. Are we ready to go? All right. Absolutely. Before we dive in though like of course full disclosure dustin and i are not experts on any of this information not experts on hermeticism or stoicism or any of the topics talked about today or most often any other day 
we're just here to explore ideas and you know try and understand the world around us and yeah if you have any comments or concerns like feel free to drop them in the public discourse we want this to be a conversation not just between us two but between us and you guys as well so feel free to make any comments during this and discuss the ideas after would love to hear your guys feedback but today we're kind of going to be talking about pain and pleasure a little bit as well as trying trying to understand how those relate to what one might call a good life so going from hermeticism there are kind of two ideas that i would like to or two principles in particular that i would like to talk about today the first one being the principle of polarity and the second one being the principle of vibration and so basically the principle of polarity says that which dustin you might be able to give a better synopsis of these two principles because it's been a while since i've read the Kabbalion. but basically that everything kind of has its opposite but they're not actually like antitheses of each other they're simply varying in degree so it talks about for example, love and hate, and how love and hate are not actually different things. They're actually the same thing, but the opposite poles of the same thing. So if you think about a number line, hate one might think of as the negative side of the number line, and love might be the positive side. So mm. it exists on a continuum or on a spectrum. Kind of. So the Kabbalion says that love and hate are... and this kind of going on a little tangent here uh Kabbalion says that love and love and hate are two sides or basically are the same thing you're either way you're putting you're putting energy towards something or someone yeah right the really the opposite the polar opposite of love slash hate would be apathy where you don't you're not sending energy towards something and those would be your poles and okay and but yeah the, the principle of polarity is that you have you know hot and cold you have your hot hot extreme and your cold extreme and then you have varying degrees in the middle and yeah. so and it's all it's all relative right so mm-hmm. something that's you know the, the, a hot a hot stove might be hot to the touch you know to to an individual but it's certainly a lot colder than the the surface of the sun you know yeah. so it's hot and cold are very relative and they're two sides of the of two sides of the same coin essentially but they're and that's kind of the, the, the idea of polarity that they're that to everything there are poles and that the poles are not just the extremes but in, it includes the entire spectrum in the middle i mean have you touched the surface of the sun though no but kidding, uh, looking <laughs> <laughs> actually a good a good long day on the beach it feels like i've touched the surface of the sun with my entire body so <laughs> but yeah so that's kind of the idea and for the purpose of this topic, we're going to assume that pain and pleasure are essentially the same thing. They exist, you know, on a spectrum and that they're kind of the two poles of that same spectrum. All right. And then you have the principle of vibration. Would be vibration or rhythm in which you're going between the two poles? It would, I think it'd be closer to rhythm because rhythm, rhythm kind of more explains like it's, it's kind of like a pendulum as, as time mm-hmm. goes on, as life moves on. There's there's a rhythmic a rhythmic pendulum that swings between the between any two poles essentially, you know yeah. you have summer and winter you know the temperature goes from warmer to colder and if you think about it in that regard, kind of what you're saying with pain and pleasure, as a person moves through life it, there's a pendulum that swings between pleasure and pain and, and pain. I think that's the that's the 
the idea you're trying to trying to establish here. Exactly. This is why I have you here because <laughs> you're much I fresher on these topics, and I <laughs> I can read 42 pages of a book and <laughs> have a little bit of an idea of what uh, was talking about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So basically, you combine those two ideas together, and like you said, throughout life, you're constantly on this swing between pain and pleasure, right? And I think for most people, like, the concept is pain is bad, pleasure is good. I like pleasure, I don't like pain, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and this is kind of where Stoicism comes in, because Stoicism says, remove a man from his opinions, and, well, not Stoicism, a quote from Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, who Marcus Aurelius was a Stoic, the quote goes something along the lines of, Remove a man from his opinions, and you remove the complaint, I am in pain. Remove the complaint, I am in pain, and you remove the pain. And so the question that I would like to bring forth today is, assuming that you're on this rhythmic pendulum between pain and pleasure, and throughout your life, one could argue that you're going to feel equal amounts of both pain and pleasure, I guess the starting idea would be, what is the optimal way through which to live life, and then... Kind of the second question as we explore those ideas, is there a way in which you can enjoy the entirety of life, both pain and pleasure? So my, some of my immediate thoughts, knee-jerk thoughts here. So I, I think initially, if, if you're just kind of riding on the currents of life, mm -hmm. like you said, you are going to be, basically, you're going to be influenced by that pendulum. Mm -hmm. By the rhythmic pendulum moving from from pleasure to pain to pleasure to pain, which it's going to be a very dynamic <laughs> way of moving through life. Yeah. However, again, in the Kabbalion, it says, if I can pull it up here real quick, it says the the Hermetic master or advanced student polarizes himself at the desired pole, and by a process akin to refusing to participate in the back backward swing. Or, if you prefer, a denial of its influence over him. He stands firm in his polarized position and allows the mental pendulum to swing back along the unconscious plane. And I think that's that's a, that's very important, and it and it insinuates a more proactive approach to mm. that that pendulum swing of life and a more conscious and aware approach. And in seeing that the pendulum is moving towards something more negative something more painful you know in the Kabbalion it also talks about using laws against laws and we've kind of discussed in our previous episodes where you know talking about gravity you understand the law of gravity and you understand other laws of nature and then you can use law against law to achieve flight and to go to the moon and everything yeah you take the same idea with these hermetic principles and you use law against law you use a law of polarity against the law of rhythm and so as the pendulum starts swinging towards the negative, you use the law of polarity and be like, I don't want to follow this pendulum into the negative, into the pain. Therefore, I'm going to proactively look at and focus on what is pleasurable. I'm going to focus on the positive and change my own internal and mental state, regardless of what my environment is, is telling me, if that makes sense. is So... In order to do that, then, you would have to disassociate your feeling of pleasure and pain from your environment, wouldn't you? To an extent, yes. And another kind of... I don't know if it's really kind of on this... It's along the same, along the same lines, kind of, but Tony Robbins in his book, 
Awaken the Giant Within, he also talks about pleasure and pain. Not necessarily in the sense that we're talking. Yeah. But he does explain that that human beings have a tendency to move from a state of pain to a state of pleasure because, you know, pleasure is positive. People who work out are willing to go through a temporary amount of pain in order to achieve an ultimate pleasure of being fit, being healthier, being increasing their vitality, right? Whereas people who don't necessarily work out prefer to avoid the pain of working out altogether because not working out is more pleasurable to them. And so it all depends, and then it kind of goes back to the idea of subjectivity and objectivity. It's basically taking control of your subjective perspective of the objective reality. And I think taking a more proactive approach is taking control of your subjective perspective. Gotcha. And, and, and moving from a state of, state of pain to a state of pleasure. Well, at that point, I guess my question at that point would be, are you actually feeling pleasure and pain at that point, or are you feeling something more akin to fulfillment versus uh, dissatisfaction? I don't, know if, I don't know if you're necessarily feeling pain any more or less. I think it's more so maybe your response to pain. Gotcha. And so we could then maybe categorize it as pain and pleasure, which it gets very complicated and this is where the idea of the Kabbalion comes in because sometimes that line is blurry as to what you're feeling is pleasurable or not. But we could kind of separate it into two different categories. One could be the actual stimulus like you know your nerves firing and saying hey you know your touch sense going off or your heat sense going off or you know the the literal sensory data that is coming in and then and we've kind of talked about this before but then the way in which that data is processed in your mind as the subjective perspective and of that data and so we can separate the idea of pain and pleasure into kind of two different categories as Pain and pleasure being the literal sensation, and then pain and pleasure being the process in the mind. Yeah, or being the the perceived pleasure or pain. Yeah. And, and sorry, oh, go ahead. sorry, I was just going to say, like, then at that point, is it possible? Because and again, we've kind of talked about this before, but going back to that quote from Meditations, if you remove your presupposition of your interpretation of that sensory data, are you then able to remove that? the qualification of that data as pain or pleasure from your mind, and then choose how you process it as your subjective experience to then to then choose whether or not it's pain or pleasure, essentially, within the mind. Does that make well, sense? I think so. And I would but, say I would say it kind of comes down to and kind of maybe another facet to this is you know, you and I kind of talked about a a a system of hierarchical values or yes. a hierarchical value system. Yes. And I think that comes to a manual conscious manipulation of your hierarchical value system. Is yeah. is the pain that you're feeling high enough on that hierarchical value system for you to take ash, action against that pain? If that makes sense, mm. like. Are you going to let the environmental stimulus affect how you act, or can you push that mentally push or consciously push that 
sensory information lower on your hierarchical value, hierarchical value system and focus on something more positive in the moment. Which, yeah. And this kind of alludes to something I read in, in Jordan Peterson's book, Maps of Meaning. Mm-hmm. He sets up, and I'm maybe kind of taking his idea a little bit out of context and applying it to this context, but I personally think it does, it, it can fit in here a little bit. But he he ta- he makes he creates the idea that people you know we have we live we live in the present right yeah and we perceive the present to be in some in some instances unbearable mm. and in order to to fix the unbearable present we create in our minds an idealistic future and then we start problem solving and trying to figure out how to get from our unbearable present to our idealistic future we make plans and then we try to move and transform that idealistic future into the present and and things that prevent us from moving from the unbearable present to the idealistic future tend to be negative things they they're hindrances they're frustrating to deal with and or perceived negative things yes perceived negative things things that help us along towards that idealistic future are positive things because even though it might not be expected it's also you know a boost and so a boost towards that idealistic future yeah and everything else at that point is kind of irrelevant which kind of going more on a tangent i think people who don't really have any sort of goals any sort of idealistic goals that they're moving towards i think tend to be a lot more and this is just my perspective again i'm not a subject matter expert i'm not a psychologist or anything so if i'm if i'm wrong about this please correct me in the public discourse but in my subjective perspective people who don't have any sort of idealistic futuristic goals tend to be more depressive because their existing their focus is on the unbearable present and so and because they don't have an idealistic future they're not focusing on something more positive than you know what I'm saying? They just kind of get yeah. stuck in this uh, this kind of more negative headspace. But anyways, back to the thing, moving from from pain to pleasure, I think is in essence establishing that the the immediate present is unbearable because it's painful. And so I'm going to choose a positive goal, whether like it's a mental positive goal or whatever, but I'm going to focus on some on an idealistic, more positive thing in order to and work on trying to transform that positive thing into the present, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think by focusing on that, that lessens, basically that restructures your hierarchical value system mm-hmm. to where the more positive, pleasurable, idealist, idealistic future is kind of more at the top, and your unbearable, painful present is kind of more at the bottom. And so in that way, you're taking a proactive approach and consciously manually manipulating your your own person your own internal environment in contrast to the external environment around you if yeah. that makes sense and no that doesn't make sense and i think that's actually a pretty profound idea that like you know we've talked a lot about the relationship between the objective and the subjective and how how we never quite get to truth we never quite get to the objective world but we kind of get to experience truth through this subjective perspective but I think that's a very profound idea that, like, you have autonomy over your own subjective perspective. 
that like you are actually capable of willfully changing the way in which you look at things. And that doesn't necessitate that that is easy. But I think it's a very profound idea that you're capable of taking things that are very difficult in life and either adjusting your value structure to where those things are no longer negative but actually work in alignment with your end goal or you simply take those things and work them into your value structure to where again they they align with your end goal and so if you think of pain and pleasure as you know for the moment as purely the relationship between your progress towards whatever goal you have then it is almost completely within your control in theory it is almost completely within your control to adjust your value structure such that almost anything that would come into your life would work towards that goal. Does that yeah, make sense? Absolutely. And I think honestly the key word that you said there is is willful. And I think it takes a certain a certain level of I think it takes a combination of of cognitive awareness. Mm. Like situational awareness to be able to recognize well not just situational awareness, but just awareness in general to recognize the situation, recognize your own personal present state within the environment and having the willpower to change your own internal environment to not match the external stimuli, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that just goes to to show, to explain the power of the subject of perspective in general. Yeah. Like we, yeah. I think kind of going back to our last episode a little bit, I think the modern day we try to focus a lot on the objective world the world as a place of things yeah you know as far as science and everything we like to try to we, we like to try to relate everything to the science because the science is objective reality the science is views the world as a place of things but yeah in doing that we undermine the power of the subjective perspective we undermine the the world as a form for action i think and, more specifically than that undermining the power of the conscious subjective yeah because if you aren't being aware and you aren't being conscious about these kinds of things, then you are most likely going to be pulled, essentially, as best as I can understand, which I could be wrong on this, when you're not consciously detaching your perspective of a stimulus from that stimulus, they wire together on their own, and then your environment basically controls the path that you're on. But when you consciously make a detachment between those two things, you work to, you know, in the words of meditations, separate yourself from your opinions. At that point, you're then able to actually work on your internal environment to deal with the external in such a way to where it actually works in your favor. Yeah, absolutely. You're using laws against laws. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that, but, okay, now here's another question for you. Because if if you're capable of doing that, but so if you are reworking your internal environment to essentially attempt to make the external environment conducive to your end goal to where you feel positive emotion, then how do you have any long-term goals? Because the future is not determined for you. You don't know what you're going to come across. And so how can you actually pursue anything of high value of long-term you know, planning if you're consistently having to change your internal environment for to to align with the external essentially. Well, 
I think that's that's assuming that you're you have the goal of changing your internal to align with the external, which I think in my in my perspective, in my opinion, I think I think it would be the contrary. That you're you're trying to separate your internal perspective, your internal environment from external stimuli. Otherwise, if you are aligning your internal environment with the external stimuli, you're just gonna be again back to the principle of of rhythm, you're just going to be going along with the external swing of the pendulum between pleasure and pain. And so the idea is to separate your internal environment from the external environment so that even though, even as the pendulum swings towards pain, you're, you're not internally, you're not as affected by, by that swing. You can still focus on more positive things and your internal environment is overall in a more positive state as the pendulum swings towards the pain, if that makes sense. However, at that point, based on what you said, isn't that to some extent living Masochism? a fantasy if you fully separate your subjective from the objective? Like, it, to some extent, that seems to not be dealing with the objective world, but that's almost a rejection of the objective world, which I don't know that that's a great idea. Well... Kind of. I think I think if your entire focus is on if your entire focus if if you're purposely being oblivious to the external world, I think that's living in in a, in a fantasy. But if you first recognize the external environment, you see it for what it is, the objective reality. But then you willfully choose you will you willfully alter your subjective perspective of that objective reality. I think there's a difference there. Yeah. If that makes sense. So I think I think recognize I think I think the key part in there is recognizing the situation for what it is. Gotcha. I think if you refuse to look to recognize the situation for what it is, I think then you're living in a fanciful world because you're like you said, you're completely detaching yourself from objective reality. But I think I think recognizing the objective reality and taking a proactive a proactive response to your reactive <laughs> tendencies yeah. of the objective reality, I think, is is a little bit different, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And I think I would largely agree. I think that I think that potentially a more accurate idea might be it's not that you're detaching your subjective perspective from the objective world, but you are questioning your initial perspective in the first place. Because yeah. it's like something comes up and on the surface it seems to prevent you from going where you're trying to go. And so then a very small thing can become a very, very big thing very, very quickly. However, instead you are detaching that initial response and you're saying, hold up, as a subjective conscious individual, I am capable of determining what role this thing plays within my subjective perspective. And so you're adjusting you're adjusting the role of that thing within your perspective to hopefully, ideally, align with your end goal, if that makes sense. You're placing, you're placing it lower on your hierarchical value system. Or Wolfly. potentially, well, it, not necessarily, because it could be simply, it, it could actually become higher on your hierarchical value, but it's a positive thing instead of a negative thing this time, right? So... I'm trying to think of a good example. But let's say working out, right? So your initial perspective might be, well, that's difficult and that causes pain and I don't want to do it. Okay. But then you, let's say, transmute that idea to, 
well, I want to be more awake, I want to be more alert, I want to have a greater capacity to interact with the world around me and to and to, you know, think clear and this, that, and the other. And science says that working out leads to all those things. Well, all of a sudden, working out might go... Avoiding working out might have been very high on my hierarchical structure. But now, working out itself might actually be placed higher than that. And so then I start to work out. Well, I think in that example, I think it's not necessarily the working out itself that is placed on the... the well... Okay, I guess you could say working out itself is can be placed higher higher on the value system, but I think the focus is not necessarily on the working out itself, but more so the the pleasurable end goal, the idealistic future. <laughs> Cuz you've identified that your present is unbearable. I want to be healthier. I am not healthy. I you know, I am not fit. I can't run a mile. I can't, you know, yeah. Fill in the blanks, right? My present is unbearable. Idealistically, if I take the path of working out, then idealistically, I will be a much healthier person and I will be, you know, a lot more lively. I'll be have a lot more vitality, right? Yeah. Idealistic future. So you're willing to to move through the pain of working out. The, the pain of working out is simply just the journey. It's just it's a temporary. Yeah. So because you're, I guess, consciously, your value is the idealistic future, then the the pain of working out itself isn't isn't as as powerful as the idealistic pleasure of the idealistic future if that well, makes sense. Well, isn't the idealistic future always kind of the top of the hierarchy? It depends on what you make the top though. What you make the top is going to restructure the entire thing. I think that just goes back to our subjective perspective. You're yeah. you're sub, you're forcing your subjective perspective to focus on the positive of the idealistic future rather than on the negative of the pain in the moment of working out. Yeah. If that makes sense. But I think even the pain of working out in the moment, I think is still in relation to an idealistic future. And that idealistic future is something akin to, I don't go through pain. Well, I think you're wrong. I'm kidding. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um, can you say that last part again? I think I kind of missed it. I think the, like, even in the instance of, I don't want to work out because I don't want to feel pain, that is still in relation to an idealistic future. And that idealistic future is mitigating pain, something akin to that. Yeah, this is true. And so I think a very important question then is, if you're guaranteed to go through pain at some point in your life, whether, you know, well, I, I think a, that is guaranteed. Like, physical pain, going back to polarity and rhythm like the pendulum is going to swing back at some point in the words what? of Hank Hill propane and propane accessories <laughs> but at that point what I guess the question would be what can you put at the top of your hierarchical value structure such that any pain you would go through would be worth going through what can you put at the top of your hierarchical value structure that makes it worth any pain that you go through makes it worth going through? Yeah. Hmm. Because I think if you can solve that, then you can, then at that point, essentially, any pain or pleasure is first checked in with that top thing and then worked into the system and placed appropriately. Does that make sense? Hmm. I think so. I think, I think that's, I think that'd just be the, the idealistic future. What, what is an idealistic future? You have to determine that. 
Well, I think that depends on the person. It depends on what the individual's goals are. Again, we do have a tendency of moving, trying to move as far from pain and as close to pleasure as, as possible. It's just to some people, again, with the, the idea of working out, to some people, you know, the idealistic future of feeling healthier or even, you know, weightlifters, like the idealistic future of being able to squat 500 pounds is, <laughs> is more, is, is more highly valuable. It's more highly pleasured because it's a lot of satisfaction in, you know, achieving that and being like, you know, I squatted 500 pounds. How many other people can squat 500 pounds? And so in order to achieve that idealistic future, they're willing to go through the pain of squatting 100 pounds, squatting 200 pounds, squatting 300 pounds. And I've, I've squat 250 pounds before. And let me tell you, your legs don't feel all that great, uh, even a couple of days afterwards. So, <laughs> so trying like having that end goal of like, or even just being at the gym, the, the idealistic future of being at the gym and being ripped because you work out all the time. And you just start stacking forty fives on the end of the on the end of the bar until you get to like five hundred pounds, and you just sit up there and you squat it, and everybody else just leaves because they're like in, too embarrassed because they you know they <laughs> they're not as cool as you are, you know. Having that idealistic future, I mean, that's probably egotistic a little bit, but having that idealistic future to some makes going through the pain of you know the the consistency, the 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 oh. working, huh? Well. Then what happens when the gym closed down? Well, if your value system is is structured well enough, you and that's you know okay. So in that instance, you have your idealistic future, you have your unbearable present. I can't lift five hundred pounds, and that's unbearable. Idealistic future, I want to live five lift five hundred pounds. As you try to move to that, okay, the gym closes down. That's that's unexpected, and that's a negative thing because that prevents me from you know, lifting 500 pounds. So that can be frustrating. And a lot of people, when they, when their end goal is interrupted like that, they can be... would that cause pain? To an extent. I wouldn't necessarily say that cause that Like causes, not physical pain, but like maybe something akin to emotional pain, but essentially it's movement away from the end goal is what I'm trying to say. I wouldn't say it's necessarily movement away from the end goal. It's just a disruption. It's, it's, it's the unknown that you, that you haven't accounted for. You know what I'm saying? Because you've taken for granted that the gym will always be open. You go in and maybe they're doing construction, so the gym is closed down. And so you're frustrated. And quarantine like, hits. Yeah, quarantine hits, right? But, and then I think this also comes back to the power of subjective perspective, because if you, if, if, if working out and achieving the idealistic goal is high enough on your hierarchical value structure, you will find a solution to working out. And that can be anywhere from finding another gym and going work, going and working out to, you know, going and buying your own power rack and working out that way. Or, you know, maybe you go for a run. Maybe you do, maybe you just get some barbells. You, you go to Walmart, buy some barbells, and you try to do similar workouts to what you would do with a, what did I say, barbell or dumbbell? You get some dumbbells from Walmart. You do the same workouts that you would normally do with a barbell. Mm. Uh, so you, you find a, like, if it's high enough on your hierarchical value system, you will find a way to, to move around that disruption and still move closer towards your goal. But, but I think the first step in that is a conscious understanding, basically like you have to consciously, you have to make the conscious decision that this disruption is not like a, an absolute preventative situation. 
Like it doesn't, you have to assume that there is some other way to achieve your goal despite the objective reality that you're faced with. And then you actually have to go and find what that is. Well, I think in order to achieve it. And I think, again, that goes back to the hierarchical value system, because if if it's low enough, if, if it's, you know, you can think of your hierarchical value system as, again, following the principle of polarity. You have the, the many degrees, you have things that are of really high value and things that are of really low value, right? And then you have everything in between. So if it's low enough on your hierarchical value scale, you're, you're going to see that gym is closed down. And if if the idealistic future of squatting 500 pounds is not high enough, it's not of high enough value, you're going to be like, oh, well, that sucks. I'm just going to go home now, right? And you can be frustrated for a little bit, but you know, you're letting your ex, again, this kind of goes back to earlier, you're letting your environment kind of determine your actions, like essentially, yeah. in, in, some, in, some, in some regard. Yeah. But if it's, again, if it's high enough, then you'd be like, I won't accept this as, you know, this scenario, this environment that I'm in currently is not acceptable. Yeah. And so, and then I guess you could say within your journey from, you know, the present to squatting 500 pounds, you have to make a little side quest, a little miniature journey (laughs) to figure out how to go from, okay, the gym is closed down. I still need to work out today. How am I going to accomplish that goal? And so you have the unbearable present, the gym is closed down, and then you have to create the idealistic future working out today. And so you have to create another plan <laughs> to then go and work out. And if that plan gets dis- you know, disrupted, you know, the only place that you could find a power rack is on Amazon, which is going to take about a week to get to where you're at, right? Yeah. You know, that can be even more frustrating. And so, and then again, you have to reassess how high is working out on my value system? What can I do to... Do I have some friends who have a power rack? I can be like, hey, can I come over and, you know, squat for a little bit? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if that makes no, sense or not. That makes sense. But I think my point was that, like, it has to be a conscious decision. That you're, it has to be a conscious decision that your current situation is not. Well, hold up. Hold up. We got a comment. Okay. Audience says, if someone determines if they have completed the personal end goal, what happens after? Is it that they need to change their personal goal or make it part of their identity? Like, for example, if you did squat 250 pounds, what is there to move forward? So I think that I think maybe a corollary to that to that question is an excellent question. In my opinion, I think there's a corollary to that. And again, this goes back to the hermetic principle of, of rhythm, that nothing... Nothing in life is ever constant. Nothing is ever flatline. Everything is either going up or it's going down. You're, if you if you if you think that life is 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 staying constant, staying stable, realistically, it's probably going more in a downward direction. I think it takes a lot of proactivity to move kind of an upward direction. And so, when you reach an end goal, I think that's where that that principle of of rhythm comes into play. Because if you if you Again, you're at 250 pounds. If you keep squatting 250 pounds, well, it's going to be harder and harder and harder to increase increase your weight because you don't have you don't have that momentum kind of kind of pushing you through. You know what I'm saying? You're I guess you could say you're you're flatlining a little bit, but I think realistically your muscles aren't really increasing, which I know this is kind of getting on a little tangent, not addressing the question at hand. <laughs> but 
I think I think that's I think once you've you've achieved your goal, I think I would agree with the the idea of you have to set another goal yeah. because because even as you turn the idealistic future into the present, the present is still going to be unbearable. You know, we always say the grass is greener on the other side, right? Which basically means content with being where you're at. Well, you know, content with being where you're at assumes a constant, stable life, which if you follow the principle of, of rhythm, it's, that's not the case. And so I think constantly reassessing your goals Okay, the audience adds, could we also have a goal where it can never truly be accomplished? And I think that's that's I think that can be that can be a double edged sword, honestly, and in my personal opinion. I think if you if you have a goal that can't ever truly be accomplished, you will then have people that ask the question, Well, if it can't ever be accomplished, then why even try? Which I think kind of takes more of a nihilistic approach, but you also have people that look at it as it can never be accomplished, sure, but because there's no there's no limit, that means I can go as far as I want in trying to achieve the idealistic goal, if that makes sense. Well, there's that, but then, okay, you can also have a goal that you may never accomplish, right? And yeah. I think, to some extent, most people would like, you know, some facet of their life to exist beyond themselves. And so you could potentially pursue a goal that would then outlive you. Yeah. And that might be something worthwhile. But I think fundamentally, I would argue that for most people, it is probably a good idea to have a goal like that, like some goal in your life that you cannot accomplish. And the reason is because that thing will always be there to push you out of your comfort zone, to push you to grow, to push you to move forward. And you may surprise yourself. You may be like, bro, never in a hundred years could I accomplish this thing. And then in 20 years, I actually end up doing it. And you're like, oh, crap. Okay, so our comments are just added. So more so like it has no deadline, like it's a constant thing. For example, a goal is wanting to help people. It doesn't necessarily stop. It's always a constant thing. Mm. And I, okay. And I think that's that's good because I think with with that goal of wanting to to help people, at least my perception of that goal is that with that you have an idealistic future of a community of people that are that are and I could and correct me if I'm wrong on on this but you you kind of have in your head you kind of have a vision for what the future looks like with your present actions and helping people and yeah I think I think I think having goals like that can be a positive thing but yeah I, I don't <laughs> No, but something like that, I think I think it's probably a good thing to have. Like, yes, the but at that point you're you do in some sense have an end goal of I want to bring myself to a state where this is a consistent thing in my life. And at this point you're kind of going beyond the idea of, you know, simple achievement to I think some deeper trends to some deeper ideas of like what am like how am I journeying through this world? What is the manner in which I carry myself and what is the manner in which I hold myself, which I think is a very I I mean thank you so much for bringing this up because I think it's very interesting to take into account in relationship to the things that we've been talking about because yeah, like that in some sense that's something that you can achieve, yes. But that's also something that 
A, probably takes effort to achieve, and B, needs to stay consistent. It's not, oh, I've achieved this, now let me move on to the next thing. It's like, I've achieved this, now let me maintain this thing in my life and continue to practice this as a part of my lifestyle. And I I mean, I would potentially argue that things like that probably need to be closer to the top of your value structure, because that is a purely subjective aspect of your life. Okay, our audience member says a book that relates a lot to this is Simon Sinex. Am I pronouncing that right? Simon Sinex? Sinex? <laughs> this book, Infinite Game, where people go with a purpose that takes more than a lifetime to achieve. I will add that book to my reading list. I don't know when I'll be able to get to it, but it sounds like it sounds like it's got some some good stuff in there. And I'd love to love to be exposed to to more ideas ideas like that. Darren, what do you think? No, I I think that's great. I want you to finish your thought though, because you're saying something about a higher calling for life. I want you to finish what you were about to say. Oh. Yeah, I was just saying like you're you're again taking a proactive approach and kinda again, kind of more internally. You're taking a more proactive approach and and calling yourself to to a higher purpose of of being. The the Kabbalion, one of the principles of the Kabbalion is the the principle the principle of correspondence and this is kind of one of those topics that I'm I'm a little still kind of mentally evaluating but the the idea is that the universe and and life exists on multiple planes of existence and I think internally having those those indefinite goals those goals that take longer than a lifetime to achieve you're basically calling yourself up to and especially if those those goals are to benefit yourself and the people around you, I think those goals you're essentially calling yourself to a higher level, a higher plane of existence, a higher level of of, of correspondence. You're you're forcing yourself to be more proactive in in making, I guess, really making your environment a a better place to be in, a more going from a state of pain to a state of of pleasure. You're taking a proactive approach to to change your environment which i think starts with a change to your internal environment yeah well that's a very interesting idea actually that as you pursue something like that you work to change your internal environment and then you over time potentially become the kind of person that will establish good environments within the world around you and mm-hmm. i mean you you talk about the kind of people you'd want to surround yourself with. Like, if you can surround yourself with those kinds of people, the kinds of people that, like, wherever they at, they're at, they develop a an environment, like, they develop good environments. Like, I, I mean, I can think of so many people in my life that, like, you know, you you go to them and just wherever they're at, they spark discussion or wherever they're at, you know, they create like a good social environment or like, you know, where wherever they're at, they as a byproduct of the way in which they live their lives, they actually create a positive environment. Absolutely. And I think I think this is kind of a big picture result of kind of what we're what we've been discussing in this episode of you're you're kind of separating yourself from your environment mentally cognitively you're separating your as as the pendulum moves towards pain you're able to separate yourself from your environment change your internal environment 
to then change your external environment and cause the pendulum to swing more in the the pleasurable positive positive side and so you're in that instance you're using law against law and yeah uh, in that regard yeah and i mean like what (laughs) like how much hope does that kind of bring to your life that you you could potentially not only have control over the way in which you interpret the world but then that internal work to change the way in which you interpret the world could then potentially call you up to a higher state of being such that you are the kind of person to generate a better environment around you. I think that just overall just goes to show the the power of the individual the individual has within themselves. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really crazy to think about. But unfortunately that's all the time that we have for this episode. Thank you everybody who came out to listen to our our podcast. Thank you for the comments and the questions. I hope we we answered your questions, you know, to some level of satisfaction. We really appreciate all of you guys. Be sure to stop by next week when we discuss our next topic is going to be nationalism versus globalism. Should be a very, very interesting topic. So, yeah, Darren. Yeah, no, thank you, everybody, for listening in. Hope you guys join us next week. And we'll probably actually have to continue this conversation on a later episode. So I feel like we begun unpacking many many topics and i think it was like there's there's deeper to go within this but yeah hope you guys have a wonderful week hope you guys stay healthy have a good discussion and continue pursuing a positive environment in the future absolutely remember think critically and live fully we'll see you guys next week see ya